0: Welcome to Think Like, a podcast sponsored by Alabama Association for Gifted Children. The purpose of the podcast is to explore different professions and to find out what it really takes to be successful. I am your host, Dr. Shirley Farrell, and we hope you will join us each month to listen to a conversation between myself and a professional in a career. Now on to the episode. Welcome to our episode. Think like a, uh, and today we're going to think like a paleontologist. Are you excited? I know I am. And we have June Ebersol, who is the director of collections. I hope I got that right, at the McWayne Center in Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome, June.
1: Hi, Shirley. Thank you for having me.
0: Now I've known June for years at the McWayne Center. I never realized he was a paleontologist because I would have had this conversation with him a long time ago because who doesn't want to be a paleontologist? I think every child and maybe still that inner child in the adults still want to be a paleontologist and Jurassic Park has made that come alive, so to speak, um, for us even more. So June, tell me, what does a paleontologist really do? Uh,
1: the short answer is that paleontologists study the past. We study past life, um, but dependent on what branch of paleontology you're in, your job could be very, very different. Um, a lot of paleontologists for example, will end up in a university where they're teaching. They'll, they'll be teaching you know college students and so forth. Some might work for the National Park Service. They're doing completely different stuff out in the field uh, very much. There's um, you might work for an oil company um, living on an oil rig or like me, for example, I work in a museum. so I spend most of my time in the museum with our collection.
0: So wow, so that is a, a lot of variety within that field. Um, So your job at the museum, when you do paleontology, what is it you really do? So at McWayne Science Center, we have the
1: largest fossil collection in the state. So a lot of people don't realize that Alabama is the number one state in the U.S. for fossil diversity, so different species of fossils. So my job is to manage this collection. So approximately 60% of our collection is not legally actually owned by the museum itself. It's actually owned... it it depends on where the fossils are coming from. And so if I get fossils from a national park, it's actually owned by the National Park Service. If I get it off a navigable waterway, it's actually owned by the U.S. Corps of Engineers. If it's a state park, it's actually property of the state. So my job is to not only preserve these things for perpetuity, so making sure when they come in, they're gonna be around for future generations. That's a big part of the job, the the databasing and the, the, the cataloging and the proper storage and humidity and climate control, maintaining all of that, but at the same time the, the legal aspects behind it. This is what a lot of people don't understand, that there are a lot of laws and regulations that govern um, fossils and artifacts and those types of things. So I have to make sure we're in good legal standing with all those. We can actually get audited here at the museum to make sure that we are actually um, managing everything properly. But when all of that is, is done, it's an ongoing process, um, the other aspect of my job is research. So studying these fossils, trying to figure out what they can tell us about the past, and particularly here in Alabama, what can it tell us about um, these different time periods that we have here in Alabama?
0: So that kind of makes you like a detective, doesn't it? Trying to put oh, Very, the
1: very much so. <laughs> oh,
0: wow. So uh, fun, challenging um, mysteries but there's no answer book to them. You're figuring out that answer book, aren't you? Absolutely. So I know um, a lot of times we see paleontologists out in the field digging is, um, have you ever done that? And, um, or what can you tell us about it? Uh, Yes.
1: So if you're a paleontologist, you can expect to be in the field, um, collecting the things that you're studying or Uh, Sometimes it's reactionary. They might be putting in a Walmart and they hit a fossil bed and you're going to go out there and recover those things so they can finish their construction project. Um, There are other states out there where you can't put a shovel into the ground unless a paleontologist checks it out first. And so sometimes it's reactionary field work. For me, it is, I am in the field where I have so many paleontologists coming from other parts of the country or other parts of the world that want to study the unique stuff we have here in Alabama. So they might study trilobites, or they might study corals, or they might study sharks like I do. And I will take them to certain sites to help them collect, but I'll also collect for the museum. Um, But then there's my own research. So you know, I study sharks. For example, I study the evolution of, of Megalodon, and so I'm looking at where Megalodon came from over the past 100 million years. And so I'm going to very specific locations looking for Megalodon ancestors. So that's driven by you know my personal interest and my research interests. But a lot of my other field work is someone might just be kayaking down a creek and they might come across a specimen coming out of the bank. They will call me then I'll have to go out there and, and go get it. Um, so I never know where I'm going to be and I never know when these things are going to come up and happen a lot of times. Um, I'm just not in control of that. It's really everybody else that's contacting me or coming to me and I'm helping them out.
0: So it sounds like your schedule isn't always your own, that, that it's you have to be flexible and have to be able to go where you're needed at that time.
1: Uh, very much so. And all parts of the state. Um, I have cave friend, uh, friends, for example, who are in deep in caves and they're finding interesting stuff. And so I have field supplies just to go into the caves. Um, since I study sharks, not only do I collect fossil sharks from on land, but I also study recent sharks in the Gulf of Mexico. So I get on research vessels and we're tagging sharks in the Gulf of Mexico where I have a different set of field gear for that. Different set of field gear for hiking through creeks, different set of field gear for working in quarries. Um, So it's very, very, uh, we have a very diverse landscape here um, where where it can definitely be challenging but it takes you to all these different time periods. And um, it's very very interesting, very exciting, very different um, from, from other places.
0: But it sounds like you never get bored too.
1: Uh, no, there's, there's always too much to do. Um, <laughs> so I am a person with a very active mind, so it, it does help to have this variety of things. Um, even though I love studying sharks, because we're the number one state in the US for fossils, I really have to study everything or at least have familiarity with everything from plants to fossil bugs to mammals to reptiles. Most of my research is in, you know, sharks and bony fish, but you have to have a, we come across everything else in my pursuit of sharks. So
0: yes. Yeah, you've got to be able to recognize what else you're finding, too, so that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, if you want to be a paleontologist, what educational training or degrees do you need to be a successful paleontologist?
1: Um, That's an excellent question, and it's getting more and more difficult where there are very few paleontology positions. So when people think of paleontologists, they're thinking of vertebrate paleontology for the most part. The people that study dinosaurs and basically study the animals with backbones. So if you want to study giant ground sloths or if you want to study crocodiles or sharks or dinosaurs, um, you're going to have to get a very specialized degree, but you're going to be in school for a while. So what I tell a lot of people is, is that it's a there's very, very, very few jobs. There's actually more major league baseball players in North America than there are North American vertebrate paleontologists.
0: Meaning if you get a full-time
1: position doing this, you have a better chance of making the major leagues. So I don't wanna discourage anybody, but really what you have to do now is you have to plan on getting your masters and then your PhD, and then what are called postdocs, just to even be competitive to apply for one of these positions. So to break that down, There's several ways you can get into paleontology. And just to talk about the vertebrate side, the invertebrate side, which is studying the animals from the past without backbones. There are other jobs out there as well. For example, if you study microfossils, you can work for an oil company and actually make really good money. These are microscopic planktons that actually you can date them and it helps you find the oil. Big demand for that, obviously, because there's so much money involved but it's a very, very specialized field. You'd go through a very specialized program, specialized degree and so forth. But for what most people think about with vertebrate paleontology, you're either going to have a geology degree or a biology degree or a mix of both. So starting with your undergraduate program, most schools will not have a geology program. Um, Those are really going away across the country, but... As an undergraduate, if you started in biology or if there is a geology program, there are a couple of classes, you're gonna be taking those, but then you're gonna be applying to a graduate school. And that graduate school, it's either got to be a pure biology focus or it's gotta be a geology focus. You, most places will, to be competitive, you, you need to have both, but you're, you have a better chance if you go to a place that has a PhD geology program. So you will go and get your dissertation you're going to have to study rocks. You're going to have to learn geology. That's a, It's not just studying, you know, the bones or the teeth um, or the shells. It is interpreting that entire layer these things are coming out of. Um, so you have to know your geology inside out. You have to be able to interpret those past environments, figure out how the age of these things. Um, so you'll do your dissertation on a very specific topic, You'll end up then getting what's called a postdoc. These are postdoctoral positions where after you get your PhD, you'll apply either through National Science Foundation or there's other places out there that'll fund two or three year based essentially research positions where your your job as a paleontologist is going to be research, um, where you're going to be not only out in the field collecting these things or working with museum collections, you're going to be studying them and publishing on them. Um, and, and so to be competitive and to get a vertebrate paleontology position, you have to have a certain number of publications. Generally, the magic number is 20 to 30. Wow. Um, and So these are peer reviewed journal articles, and that's just to be competitive. Uh, so a postdoc, the postdoctoral position is you're essentially getting paid to do your research. You have nothing else. You don't have to teach. You don't have to do anything. Your job is just to do research. So you'll have a host facility, whether it be a university or generally a museum, where your job is just to show up every day, five days a week, and do your research and publish. The purpose of that is to allow you to get enough publications and enough research behind you to um, be more competitive when these positions open up. But it is also that there's actually, but there's more people out there with their PhDs and postdocs, to, generally people get two or three of them. So you're talking four, five, six, sometimes eight years doing postdocs, wow. jumping around. Um, it's it's very competitive. If I were to open up a paleontology position today in my lab, within two weeks, I'd have a couple hundred applications from people with PhDs from all around the country and around the world, because there's more people now with these degrees and these backgrounds than there are actually positions. So it's, uh, um, the people who make it are the ones that just don't, don't give up. Uh, these positions aren't gonna fall into your lap. You're gonna have to go after them. Um, you have to be be aggressive, not stop working, don't lose focus. And, but once you get one of these jobs, you're going to be there forever. Um, so you, I, I, there's a gentleman that I met in high school who was uh, probably 89 years old at the Field Museum in the basement working with fossils. He's still there today. Oh, wow. <laughs> you can work at these jobs forever. <laughs> so, well, it, uh, but, but that's why there's not that turnover in, in the field. You really have to wait for someone to retire or pass away for positions to open up.
0: Well, it sounds like you really have to love what you do because you're going to have to be persistent Mm -hmm. and resilient and patient.
1: Uh, Very much so. And you'll never be rich in one of these positions. You can make a good (laughs) salary in a university position and stuff, but you're not going to own a yacht and you're not going to live in a mansion. So you have to love what what you do. But it's such a unique job. It's for people that really love uh, the science. Um, There's a very adventurous component to it, there's a public fascination. Component uh, to it, so um, uh, for me, it, it's just just how interesting that the stuff is in the past, um, especially with me studying sharks, fossil sharks in the past, which is so interesting. It just keeps me going.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. So you know, we we've talked about a couple qualities: the persistence, the resilience. What other qualities or characteristics would be important to have to be in this position?
1: Um. Most of the people with who are getting paleontology positions are going to end up in a in a university. So you have to be willing to teach. So the people that don't want to teach, you're going to be very limited in the jobs that are going to be available. So once again, you, you know, national park service or other government jobs or, or museums, if you don't want to teach, are your avenues. But again, there are very few of those positions, and they're very competitive. Um, so universities, I have a lot of colleagues who have backgrounds in vertebrate paleontology who are teaching anatomy at a medical college, but their research happens to be in paleontology. Um, and so, so teaching is going to be a must. That's what's going to be paying your bills, but then your research will be in you know, what your field of interest is or your topic of interest in, in paleontology. If Generally, the people that excel in that are going to be your extroverts, so the people that are energized by, um, by engaging with, with people but there's a whole other side of your introverts the, where being around people is draining. Um, the mm-hmm. introverts are the people that actually succeed very, very well in museums, where you spend every single day, eight to 10 hours a day by yourself in a lab or in a collection storage room processing mm-hmm. the specimens and working on them. Uh, the extroverts struggle in that environment because they just need the other people around them They need to socialize. A lot of these museums, you might be the only one there <laughs> so, working in the back. Uh, so the introverts do very, very well there. Um, so for me, for example, yeah, I don't find myself as a great educator. I never really had a desire to teach in the classroom, uh, which is why I never went and, and got my PhD. Um, I went the more of the museum route, right? Like being in the field, love being in the museum environment, but being more introverted, Um, my best days are when I'm by myself in the lab, just working with the stuff. Those those are my favorite days. I get very few of them. (laughs) Those are the (laughs) days I highlight on my calendar that are, wow, this this is going to be a great day. I'm all by myself.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, So when did you know you wanted to be a paleontologist?
1: You know, it's one of those things. This is what I tell a lot of my students is that you're not gonna know until you try it. And this is very much the case uh, with me. And this is for archeology span and paleontology, that it sounds glamorous, you're seeing it on television, you're, you might be reading about it in books or seeing it in movies, you're like, wow, I wanna go do that. Until you get out there and do it, you're not gonna know. And so I actually didn't know until I was in college and I took my first course in archeology. span And the day we stepped foot out in the field, I knew within 15 minutes, okay, this is it. Same thing with, with paleontology, with paleontology students. Until I take you in the field, you're going to be either hooked or you're, you are you can't stand it. Um, and you just don't know until you do it. And so it's not glamorous where you're going to walk around the corner and there's dinosaurs coming up. That that doesn't happen. Um, if you enjoy yard work, a lot of paleontology, it's kind of equivalent to to that. <laughs> if you love, you know, gardening and those types of things where you can go, you can walk for days and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks out in the field and hunt and not find a thing. <laughs> so um, It's not what you see in the movies. You just have to go out and experience it. But the people that love being outdoors and love that sense of adventure um, and, and then just love, um, you know, the, the, the science aspect behind it are the people that are going to succeed in this field.
0: I can see where the gardening relates to it. I, I, I love gardening. I think I would like paleontology then. <laughs> they can find. Mm-hmm. Um so who or what inspired you to be the paleontologist? Um, the inspiration
1: again, you know, for me came in college. So my background is actually in paleoanthropology. That's where archaeology and paleontology converge. So I was studying fossil humans out in Africa. So, I was lucky as an undergraduate to have a professor who used to work for the Leakies out in East Africa. Ooh. So, we had actually started um, a, a field program where every summer he was going to be taking students out. So, I was in the first batch of students that he ever took to Kenya and Tanzania. So, we were actually working for the, the Leakeys investigating sites that they had discovered in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and just going and surveying these sites. And so, um, being a bone specialist, I started off by I was very interested in what early humans were eating. So looking at their trash piles and then figuring that out. When I came back to the, the States, um, you know, we don't have early humans here. So, you know, we, we don't have early hominids and, and so forth here. So, uh, but being a bone specialist allowed me to translate it very easily to paleontology. I mean, a bone is a bone. It doesn't matter what the, the age of it, you can figure it out and, 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 and work with it and such, but not necessarily studying diet anymore, it's studying animals. And so I've kind of left the human aspect behind, but really what inspired me, um, uh, you know, it, it's sort of a tough question because when I came here to McWayne Science Center, they needed somebody with an archaeology and paleontology museum background. And that's what I had, which is why I have the position here. But I had no idea I'd end up studying the things that I'm studying now. A lot of it is just the result of what we have here and the amazing things that we have in the state. But there are certain things that I started gravitating towards where I love ice age animals. once again these are the you know some of the these are animals that humans actually had seen but then um sharks i never thought in a million years i would study sharks but it's almost exclusively what i do now um but you know just being around so many of them the more i learned about it the more interesting it became became and the ball just got bigger and bigger and bigger um rolling downhill so i don't know if there's a point of inspiration where knowing that Doing something related to those, is, I, I knew right off that in undergraduate school, like I'm going to be doing something related to that, whether it's in a museum or being in the field full time. But um, I had no idea I'd be sitting here studying, you know, <laughs> megalodons and goblin sharks and those types of things, and being on research vessels in the Gulf. Never in a million years would I thought I'd end up doing those types of things.
0: So I guess some of, of a pathway your journey in your career is being open to the opportunities that come your way as well.
1: Oh, very much so. Um, the opportunities are endless. Once you have one of these positions, there's so few of us around, um, you get pulled in a million different directions. So it's, it's never a lack of opportunities. It's a question of what opportunities do you want to pursue? Which ones do you say yes to? Which ones do you have time to do? Which ones can you do and do, do well? Um, not a week goes by where, you know, I'm not getting phone calls from people or emails from people, um, needing help or needing advice or, you know, identify this or come check this out or so forth. You you can't do them all. Um, you know, film crews that want to follow you around, newspaper reporters that want to ask you about what you're doing, what you do. You can't say yes to them all. They're all interesting. Um, but if you spend all your time trying to fulfill every single opportunity that comes up, there's no time to actually do the work that you want to do
0: <laughs> so that makes sense. you spend
1: more time talking about it than actually doing it so yes uh but big difference there
0: <laughs> so what do you enjoy most about being a paleontologist uh for me
1: it is um just the learning aspect i'm always a person that wants to learn more and more and more especially when dealing with the fossil record it just bothers me when i don't know what something is um, and so it's that personal drive just one you know more and having a bigger um, especially here in Alabama where we just have so much stuff but so little's been done um, uh, those are kind of my driving forces there' just the science behind it that's what I really enjoy uh, the most okay um, so it, it's it's why I'm kind of in the perfect position here where I don't have to worry about you know, teaching um and having students and those I can bring on students if I want but I don't have to um, I'm really there just just my personal scientific pursuits I, I can just go after. Them.
0: Oh, that is great. So that's, that's the positive side of the job. What do you dislike about being a paleontologist? Um,
1: there's just way too much to do. <laughs> so that, the, <laughs> the, the biggest difficulty for me is, um, again, there's just way too many opportunities. And you feel bad when you have to turn some down, speaking at a conference, or, you know, I feel bad when a fifth grade teacher calls and wants me to come out to a classroom and and talk to their class, but I can't because I have to cancel four other things in order to go accommodate that. So that's kind of the worst part, having to turn those types of opportunities down where I have to focus more of my time on the masses, trying to educate everybody as opposed to one person at a time. It's not saying the one person at a time is not important, but there's only one of me. Um, And so it's more important for me, for example, to teach a teacher workshop than it would be going to talk to a third grade class. I can educate the educators with this stuff. So from an educational standpoint, that is more important for me. So those are the types of things that I'd have to schedule as opposed to personal appearances and um, those types of things. So uh, so that's always difficult. So having to say no to something is, is always hard, but that happens more and more and more as I my time gets more fragmented. Um, so there's other sides of things that just come with the job where, yeah, I don't like having to fill out permit applications, but I have to.
0: <laughs>
1: yes. But I have to for the legal aspect of having the things that we have or for me to go collect at a certain place. And um, uh, that, 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 I, don't, I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy the paperwork so much, but you have to do it as part of the job um so uh, so again you know my my favorite days are when i'm just eight to ten hours in my lab by myself shark's teeth all over the table and i'm just working
0: (laughs) i I think i think we all hate the paperwork parts of our jobs i mean i think that just be has become a natural part of it Mm -hmm. so for any aspiring paleontologists that might be listening What do you recommend that they read or do in order to learn more about being a paleontologist?
1: Uh, You know, one of the best things that you can do is um, get yourself out there in the field. So just about every state will have actually a paleontology society. There's two of them right here in the Birmingham area. Uh, They actually go out on monthly field trips. Join in on the field trips. Get an experience of what it's like. So, these are people, they're not professional paleontologists, but they're people that have spent enough time in that particular area where they know what the sites are, they have a good idea of what the fossils are, what you need to bring. So, they line up permissions and everything, and you can go out there and, and, and try it out. Uh, great experience, definitely for kids to see if they enjoy those types of things, where knowing that once you get past the develop, developmental stage where most five to 10 year olds are just going to be in. Th- enthusiastic about dinosaurs, memorizing and name of every dinosaur, that of books and all of that. All that stuff is wonderful. And so for all you parents out there who are listening to this is, yes, definitely encourage that in your kids, getting them to read and pronounce Latin names and so forth. But a lot of them by middle school will start phasing that out where their interest in dinosaurs is being replaced by something else. But for those ones who continue this into high school and so forth, getting them that field experience and continuing their their knowledge by, you know, even just, you know, walking, watching, walking with dinosaurs on television or getting um, you know, the um, dinosaur books and so forth. All that stuff is fantastic building their knowledge base because it's going to influence where they're going to go to college. So, but knowing that you don't want to have to go to one of these specialized universities, one of these specialized programs, and then go out to the field the first time and realize, okay, this isn't for me. If you can get that out of the way earlier, um, junior high school or high school, knowing that you still have this enormous interest, then you go out there and say, well, wow, okay, this is, this, is maybe, this is maybe a life for me. Because you'll know within 15 minutes whether or not you can enjoy being out in the desert in 110 degree heat <laughs> <you> know, with, <laughs> with, with the bugs and so forth. If that's a life for, for you, uh, you'll know pretty quick. But if so, in, there's actually paid programs. University of Alabama has one where you'll spend a week out in the field living in tents. You can go out West and you can do those types of things. That, that's kind of the second step. If you do day trips and you love it, great. If you then survive a week trip, great. Um, and if you feel like that's the life for you, go all in. And that's where that would choose the undergraduate university you're going to. That'll drive what um, graduate school you'll be going to um, and really set you up for your career from there.
0: Oh, that is great advice. I, I think getting in, getting their hands dirty and sure. uh, figuring out, is that really what they want to do. Thank you. Do you have any last words of advice or wisdom to share?
1: Um, If you do want to go into vertebrate paleontology, consider staying here in the southeastern U.S. So when you look at states, um, when you start looking at, uh, say, like East Texas or Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, the Florida panhandle, There's maybe four or five of us that are actually doing vertebrate paleontology here, but we're one of the richest regions in the world for fossils. We have no idea what's here. It's unbelievable. Um, So we are a global hotspot for this, but no one knows it because we don't have the people working on it. So we do have paleontologists around, but a lot of them study, you know, Antarctica or South America or or Africa. We need people studying the stuff here, being one of the best regions, but we know nothing about it. Um, Definitely consider that. Um, you, You can make a whole career right right down here, living on the beach and collecting fossils.
0: You know, I think that would make a lot of parents happy knowing that their kids could still be nearby and still do what they love to do.
1: Very much so. Mm -hmm.
0: Oh, June, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule. And I'm honored that you made time for us so that we can um, share with anyone who cares to hear more about how to think like a paleontologist. Thank you. Great.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Shirley.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast, Think Like A. Please email us any suggestions for a career that should be featured on the podcast at alabamagifted at gmail.com. See you next month.